With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team. On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is a part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, located in Voorhees, New Jersey. I am the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child and School Struggles, both of which are published by Sentient Publications. And I have a new one coming out soon, baby number three, called Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. These are all available on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, and you can learn more about the books and my stuff at www.shutdownlearner.com. That site is loaded with blogs and lots of great information, I hope, for parents. And you can follow me on Twitter by following at Dr. Sells, that's D-R-S-E-L-Z, and on Facebook under Shutdown Learner by clicking the like button. Um, it's the goal of this show that we talk in down-to-earth, plain language for parents. And you can hear previous episodes of School Struggles on thecoffeeclotch.com, www.thecoffeeclotch. That's with a K-L-A-T-C-H at the end, Coffee Clutch, or through iTunes. I am excited to have David Flink in the studio. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I have my, my tea here, and I, and I only love to speak <laughs> down-to-earth language. That's, the, that's my favorite language, so I'm on the right show, it sounds like. Yeah, well, thanks. I, I, I was disappointed that we only had, you know, in the pre-chatting, I was, I was enjoying our chat, so then, you know, came time for the show, and we had to, we had to kind of stop our talking. And, but we'll, okay. invite we'll share it with to, everyone here. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. right, into the living room. <laughs> 
So yeah. David is the author. I happen to have gotten this book as a present um, during the holiday season. He's the author of the book Thinking Differently, an inspiring guide for parents of children with learning disabilities. And I will strongly recommend parents and professionals listening out there to pick up this book if you're, you know, if you have any concerns about kids with learning issues. It is truly a down-to-earth um, book. Much of it is autobiographical. Just by, uh, real quick, quickly, David, I just want to give a little introduction. Um, David is the co-founder of I2I, and that's E-Y-E as in eyeball, I2I, and, and he founded that in 1998 while a student at Brown University. And I2I is the only national mentoring movement that is empowering young people with learning disabilities by giving them a mentor who shares that experience. Um, David was named one of the new leaders councils 40 under 40 and he was elected to be the to the prestigious ashoka fellowship did i pronounce that properly my decoding skills were okay the decoding skills were okay ashoka is dedicated to achieving large-scale social innovation and is the largest network of social entrepreneurs worldwide so I'm going to go on his, your coattails, David. I'm going to follow you as a, a young <laughs> entrepreneur. David holds a master's degree in disability studies and education from Columbia University and a bachelor's degree with honors in education and psychology from Brown. And Thinking Differently is his first book. Um, and it's, it's a book that's written from an autobiographical perspective directed primarily at parents. So, David, again, welcome. Oh, what a warm welcome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So tell us about your journey a bit. You know, the beginning part of your book, um, you know, you, you really talk about what it was like to be a young kid and your parents and their involvement and, you know, the, the impact that having learning that you had a learning disability had on yourself and your parents. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, so, um, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was born in 1980, and um, I think I, I may, sometimes I feel like I was born in sort of the first generation that had the gift of really growing up with a sense of that label early on. So, by the time I was um, leaving elementary school, I knew I was dyslexic, and I knew I was ADHD. I, I couldn't tell you that, you know, as a kid, I could clearly articulate you know, what those words meant, but I knew that something wasn't going kind of the way that it went for everybody else. And much of my schooling up until I had gotten those labels was really tough. I mean, I struggled with reading in school and I struggled with sitting still. And of course, we all know that's really what young kids, that's what their job is, right? You know, when you're in school, yeah. that's your job. And so when I was given these labels, um, I, it was really a godsend. I was like, oh, my gosh, like now I have words to describe why I've been struggling in school. And there are people here who can tell me, you know, how it's going to be different. And so I really feel like I kind of hit the jackpot. Um, did, you, did you feel before that, before you got that label, did you have a sense of where you were down? Like, I'm not sure what age are you talking about, like third grade, fourth grade? Is this point that you were in the fifth grade. Said? Fifth grade. Yeah, so were you and down, then, did you find yourself down on yourself uh, and uh, kind of, you know feeling kind of defective before that? Yeah, you know, I know we were chatting a little bit before we went on the air about um, sort of the real value of getting that diagnosis early. 
And um, I, I talk to parents all the time. I suspect that you do too when, when families yeah. are like, well, you know, I don't want my kid to have the label. And the reality is I had other labels. When I didn't have right. the label of dyslexia and ADD, I was getting the label of, you know, lazy or getting the label of stupid, um, which I didn't know when, when your job is to show up to school, sit still and read. And those fundamental things you can't do, you yeah, get labels work. that are far worse than dyslexia or ADHD. And actually, right. dyslexia and ADHD gave me access to an entire community with people who, you know, are really proud of their learning differences. So, yeah, I was not a happy little kid. So um, you remember, I was happy you out of the school. But, yeah, yeah right, I sure. remember just being really, you know, so down when I would show up at school. I was like two different kids. There was a kid in school who was depressed and the kid who was out of school who was really happy. Yeah, right. Do you remember a sense of personal... Um, like embarrassment during that period? Like, was that what you were going through? Like when you were asked to read out loud or to produce in writing and you were trying to cover up, that kind of thing? Yeah, because I, I didn't know what was going on, um, I was embarrassed for a couple of reasons. One is that I knew I couldn't do the task that was being asked of me. And two, I really, I did turn to cheating. I remember I had this, um, I had this friend, his name was Yogi. Um, yeah. and, and Yogi was like the smartest kid in the class. And he yeah. would let me kind of cheat off of him. And that's how I kind of even yeah. got through a little bit. And, sure. um, but that doesn't feel good. Uh, you know, right. I, so, so what? So I happened to know the smartest kid in the class, and he let me cheat off his answers. So well, I was either embarrassed because I was getting the wrong answers. To, yeah. Yeah, he was smart, smart enough, enough to, to find the, the one kid who would give me the answers. Right. It's like me wanting to follow your coattails and your entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I'm well, no not fool, David. I'm it. no fool. I'm no fool. <laughs> Um, yeah, those were tough years. And, and, and I really, I mean, one of the reasons that I was inspired to both do this mentoring program that I'm a part of and also write this book was that I didn't want kids to feel that shame. I didn't want them to feel alone. Right. There's no need. There's no need. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to say about the 1980 thing, because I, as I was, uh, you know, I don't want to date myself too much here, but I was a young psychologist in that period of time. And I could, learning disabilities was, in a sense, red hot, you know, as, as a term, mm -hmm. you know, it really became a part of our consciousness in that period of time. And, you know, it was the first generation of kids that were, you know, I remember New York City, in fact, because that's where I got one of my, first, you know, first teaching jobs uh, was in the new resource rooms and all, you know, this was, this was, you know, all breaking everywhere, you know? So you, yeah, you I really feel were passionately that I was born in the right year. Very, yeah. very fortunate. I have a board member who's, um, she's, she's coming up on 80 and she's dyslexic, but yeah. she didn't get diagnosed until she was actually retiring. Wow. <laughs> and she, wow. she said it, you know, it changed when she got that label, it changed yeah. the entire way she thought about her education up until that point. Um, yeah. but you know that, so I had, I had the gift of knowing exactly how I learned and there's still stigma out there. I mean, I know lots of families that are like, well, you know, you're going to overcome dyslexia. No, you don't overcome it. You integrate it into part of who you are. Um, yeah. there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's gifts and there's weaknesses that come with it. And it's a matter of knowing, you know, how to play up your strengths and how to compensate for your weaknesses. That's all. Yeah, sure. Sure. Dude, what was, uh, Further after your testing, the first, you know more of the journey. What happened then, uh, going down the road for you? 
Yeah. Well, so first I actually had to leave the school that I was in and that was really heartbreaking for me. Um, like I said, I had my friend Yogi there, you know, who was letting me cheat off his homework. So I had to leave Yogi, um, and other friends. And my mom actually taught in the school and it was a very warm community. It was a Jewish day school in Atlanta. And so I, I was sad to leave that community, but they didn't know how to help me at the time. Actually, that school now has an entire program specifically for kids who have learning disabilities. So I could have stayed there, but at the time I had to leave. Uh-huh. So I left this whole community and I went to a school specifically for kids who had learning disabilities. And what was actually great about that was two things. One, you know, I learned, I, they taught me how to read. They gave me strategies for helping with my ADHD. I started taking Ritalin, right. things like that. Right. Um, and in addition, and probably even more pronounced, believe it or not, than actually getting the learning strategies that I needed was I had a community. I left this Jewish community that I felt a connection with because of my Judaism, but I found a whole other community, which was what I jokingly call now the LDADHD Republic. You know, every kid in the school learned like me. And I was like, oh, you're my people. I didn't know you were out there. (laughs) I love that, Um, the Republic of LDADHD. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It was just so um, warming. You know, the way that any of us feel, I think, you know, a kindred spirit, whether it be, you know, I'm part of the Boy Scouts here or part of the Boy Scouts. That's amazing. That's That's my team. Right. Yeah. Oh, you're a Red Sox fan? Me too. You know, whatever the thing is. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So for me, just to be able to suddenly meet this entire community that, oh, you, this is, you have trouble sitting still, so do I. Oh, but what else? Well, we make yeah. unbelievable connections really fast because that's one of the gifts mm-hmm. of ADHD. Oh, that's mm-hmm. amazing. You know, all that stuff right. just awakened in me. Um, I was only there for two years, but it was game-changing two years. I left that school, and you know how I said I was kind of a sad person in school and a happy yeah. person out of school? Yeah. I was a happy person all around. You met me, and I was just, you know, on cloud nine. Um, and I feel like today, to this day, yeah. the name of the school is Gank School. I feel so grateful for that school. How would you it was really again? something extraordinary. Uh, Skank, S-C-H-E-N-C-K. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was I not perhaps the best name for, uh, <laughs> for a school. <laughs> right. um, it was named after the founder, David Skank. Yeah. But when you leave the right. school and you're like, already have these labels, and you're like, okay, you're sure. dyslexic? What's that mean? You're like, I'm not quite sure yet. And where do you yeah. have to go the Skank School? Yeah, I go to Skank. I go to Skank, yeah. Yeah, I wish they had named it, you know, the school for super awesome kids or something. Because mm-hmm. um, that's how we all felt. Yeah, that's great. What, how, how, did you, how did you reintegrate back? Because that's, uh, you know, a real concern. And, you know, so I, I know that a lot of the private schools that I've known for learning disabilities, they'll say that, you know, it's a two-year stint or, and they try to get the kids back. But I sometimes think that it's really hard for those kids to go back into the public school. How is it for you? Yeah, um, so I I went to two schools after that. I briefly attended a school that was like a, a really intense prep school very far away from my home, um, which was actually not so great. And then um, I ended up at a school called Galloway, which was actually a little closer to where I lived. And it was a very sort of free-spirited kind of school where they really embraced all learners. And I think it was there where I found myself not just as um, as a learner, but as a person. And they kind of integrated those two pieces of myself, yeah. the part that was outside the school and the inside of the school. Suddenly, I was just one whole person there. And I think that's what gave me the confidence to apply and ultimately go to Brown University and really to start the mentoring program that I fell in love with as a freshman at Brown. Um, it's it was all about integrating thing, yeah. myself. My all, all of who I was was all coming together there. It's interesting you say that because one, really my first job as a psychologist outside of the Philadelphia area was at a school that's still around called the Hilltop Prep Preparatory School for Adolescents with Learning Disabilities. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the big strengths that they had was that full integration of the emotional 
and uh, you know the, the the whole person aspects of of a learning disability. So all of the kids, you didn't have like you know I was the group leader. Kids would oh I have to go to group now. You know no matter what your emotional state was, you had group twice a week to talk about your learning disabilities and try learn how to cope better with you know. Uh, the learning disability, you know, learn how to communicate more effectively in class. You're having trouble with Mrs. Smith. Well, let's talk about it in group, how to deal with it. And how, yep. is, you, how is your learning disability, in effect, getting in the way? And that's what it was, you know, I learned a lot by interacting with the kids. So we're still, in, many of those kids are still in touch with me. You know, it's funny. It's like, you know, it, it's interesting how that period of time, for, you know, I, it sounds like you had the same kind of impact. When you're oh, yeah. And, you know, the the spark for ultimately, you know, founding a mentoring program was, I looked back on my life when I got to Brown and, um, you know, I knew that I was a smart learner. I had been told that I had been taught to learn sort of in strategies that worked with my brain. But the one thing I didn't have was that community that I really treasured when I had gone to the skank school. Um, at, at no other point besides the two years that I was there in my life, did I know other people, particularly older people who were successful, who had learning disabilities. Even at skank, I didn't have that. I had my peer group, but I didn't have necessarily people who were older than me. And I said, you know what? I can do that. I can take my story. I'm going to go hang out with a fifth grader. And, and what I wish had happened when I was in fifth grade, like get that label and meet some older kid who's dyslexic to say it's all good. I'm going to be that guy for somebody else. Yeah, well, that's um, great. That's great. And who would have thought, you know, and to be honest, it wasn't like I was, I'm starting a nonprofit and this is going to be my life's career. I just wanted to help one kid. It's only, yeah. you know, a decade and a half later, I look back and say, oh, I guess that, that there was something really special in that. <laughs> Well, there is, you know, and I, I, I sometimes when I find myself getting a little bit burned out, I mean, I've been doing this work for a long time, and, you know, it's testing is not easy and trying to help parents understand what's going on and get, getting them on board. But when you really feel like you've touched a kid and reached a kid and gotten through that, what I call in shutdown learner, like loser thinking kind of thing going, you know, like that loser, you know, defective thinking, and you get the kid walking out saying, you know what, I'm really okay. You know, Selznick thinks I'm okay. Selznick thinks I'm okay. I did all right, right in these blocks or whatever. Then I, it's like, okay, it makes it really worthwhile. It sounds like we have a similar, you know, outlook that way and experience. How about you? How about your parents? Like, what what were, like, what were they doing right or not? You know, what were they doing right? They obviously were getting into good schools and and, and yeah. navigating the waters for you. But you know, what, what were they doing well and maybe looking back on it not so well? Well, I would say I I, could, I tell you, you know, I could hear you sort of say, like, well, not so well. You know, it's it's. It's interesting because when I sat down to write the book, I'll tell you, I originally didn't include any of my story. I really wanted it to be about the stories that I had learned in doing eye to eye because I thought that there were so many rich stories there. And the book has tons and tons of rich stories from eye to eye. Um, yeah. And my, my publisher, this amazing team over at um, HarperCollins said, look, you know, you, we think you should include your story too. And I said, well, it's not just my story. It's my parents' story. It's my family's story. I have to like okay that yeah, with sure. them. Yeah. Um, so I actually went back and had some really interesting um, conversations with my folks. And what I would say is that, you know, the things that they did right um, were, you know, just being engaged, attuned parents. And the things that, you know, that that they would say that they didn't go so well, it was never a fault of them. I mean, my mom, I think today still feels guilty. You know, they're like, oh, we should have gotten you diagnosed sooner. Mom, you didn't know. How could you have known? You did everything that you thought was possible. Um, Sure. And so, you know, what they really did right and, um, to be honest, what they continue to do right with me, you know, it's funny to say I'm, you know, 34 years old and, um, you know, I'm still my, my parents' kid. They showed me unequivocally 
that they loved me, that they cared about me, and that they were on my team. Um, and whenever I hit a snag, they never blamed it on me, and they never made me feel like I needed to be fixed. They made it really clear that there was an environment around me that wasn't working, and we had to try and fix that environment around me. And, yeah. um, you know, to this day, th- those kind of lessons, they stick with you. When I have a challenge oh, or I have a struggle, I'm reminded by that. I remember I have, you know, Team Vicky and Barry Flink down in Atlanta. Like, they have my back. Um, it's, yeah. it's, an, it's an incredible gift that parents can give their kids, uniquely give their kids, in fact. Vicky and Barry on the team. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah, did other no, things, too, but, uh, yeah, but those well, things no, were I mean, the I first and that, foremost, yeah. Well, I think that that's really, I think that that's really well said. I mean, I'm only, I just want to punctuate it for a second. You know, just, I, I think for the parents listening out there, conveying that you're on the team. And I think parents sometimes forget that there's so much agony and so much um, conflict over homework and, you know, you're not doing enough and, and, you know, you're not paying attention. So it unfortunately, you know, kind of spirals. So if you can pull back from that a little bit and be, you know, on the team, Team David, team, you know, Mm -hmm. and and just, you know, so, so that you say, look, we'll get through this. You know, okay, you're, you know, you're, I always kind of use imagery like, well, you're reading brain, we're, we're helping you with it. But there are other things that, that can, we can do to focus on, like you say, in the book, and I point out, Chateau, you know, the strengths, you know, get the kid yep. tapped into what he kind of understands to be intuitively that part of him that works really well. It's, you know, it's interesting. It's the part that I now realize our mentors try and support families around because, I think particularly in families where one of the parents or both of the parents don't have a learning disability, there's a yeah. perception that, like, I got through school this way. You should be able to get through school this way. And the, the truth of the matter is there isn't really a right and wrong way to get through school. The goal yeah. is to come out of school, you know, a more well-rounded person with knowledge. Um, and if you can do those things on your terms, that's all that really matters. And so I think a lot of times our mentors are, are almost like translators between the parents and the kids. Because the parents will say, well, you know, my kid shouldn't get extra time on a test. They should be able to read that material fast and just get it done. Yeah. And, the, the, and the mentor can say, look, you know, your kid's dyslexic, just like me, and I get extra time, and I'm going, you know, to Brown University. And yeah. um, if, if the material, by the way, was given in a different way, if you could listen to it with your ears instead of trying to read it with your eyes, then your kid probably wouldn't need extra time, but that's not how it's being provided in this environment. So to help kind of communicate that shift from the problem living within the kid to the problem potentially being in the environment that the kid lives within is really paramount. Um, my parents helped, see that, helped me see that, but mentors are a really great way to see that too, I think. Well, you sound like you have great parents, which is, you know, and it's, you know, most of the parents that I meet are just, are, you know, great. They're just, they're just feeling a little bit stressed over this. And, yep. I, you know, they clearly love their kid and they want to do anything they can. And I think that the wisdom in what you're talking about is important if you're hearing this out there, folks, to, to just kind of, you know, try to get pulled back from, from uh, the emotional aspects of this, and and be on that team, and be supportive in in, in the way that David's suggesting. Well, how do the men- how do the mentors work? How do do you tra- are they trained in a specific model, David? How does that work? Yeah, what's nice about um, our program is we do a lot of training with our mentors. But to begin, 
we don't have to train them on what it means to have a learning disability because they already know okay. that because they so themselves they, they have, have disabilities. Have been diagnosed, David? Is that yep. part of it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So all of our mentors, they're all in college with a few exceptions. Some of them are in high school, but for the most part, all in college. And they all already come up and they say, you know what? I was diagnosed in, you know, eighth grade. <laughs> Uh, I have ADHD, I know it, I got it, or I have a learning disability, it's an auditory processing thing. Um, so we have already, they already have that knowledge. So all we have to do is teach them on how to work with kids, which turns out to be much easier. <laughs> we originally had started the program, we thought maybe we could just train people on what it means to have a learning disability. And that's yeah. harder. It's not impossible, but like you said, yeah. I mean, how much training did you have, right? How many years right. of training did you have? Yeah. So yeah. with our mentors, it's not easy to learn how to be a mentor either, but it's certainly easier and faster to teach a mentor on how to work with kids than it is to teach them all you need to know about a learning disability. And all yeah. they are is an expert on their own story. They certainly don't do what you know our professionals and, and their, our partners do for us, but they definitely come with a sensibility of what the kids are already going through before they even meet the kid. And when they meet the child, are there like... Is there a, is there kind of some kind? Obviously, they're forming a relationship, and but is there a curriculum or something that they go through, or you know, is there a structure to it? How, how does that how does that work? So, such a terrific question. So we have actually been building a curriculum for 15 years now um, that they work through. First, helping the kids kind of address what are some of the challenges with their learning differences. Then going on further, okay, what are their strengths? How can we address those strengths and kind of bring them to their weaknesses? And, and to be honest, one of the reasons why I wrote Thinking Differently was I wanted to give what we've been doing in eye-to-eye -eye away. So a lot of the um, curriculum is, is given right in the book. So it, it's yeah. stuff that parents could potentially do with their kids too. And, and, and there's other parts of it that are on the eye-to-eye-national.org website. Um, and in subsequent editions of the book, we plan to put out even more and more and more because we just want families to feel empowered to help their kids. That's that's the whole deal. Right, right. How often do they do the mentors meet with the child? So it's a year-long commitment, and they meet um, once a week uh, in the school. Um, it's an after-school program. So the mentors come into the school. Um, and one of the things that we feel is really important about that is we want the kids to feel success in school. And so as their mentors come in, whatever the kids going, you know, whatever happened in that kid's day, they know their mentor is coming and that's a moment that they can feel really happy about. And then they have a conversation and they do usually art projects um, with the kid to kind of help them better understand like what their world is like and what their, what their learning could be like. And it's that second piece that, that gets them to a different place by the time we're done working with the kids. So, it's, and it's kids from all walks of life. It doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily uh, financially needy children, right? Um, so we have a couple of different models. The, the mentoring that happens across the nation tends to be in high-need communities, um, okay. but we also offer um, summer camps uh, for folks who are listening who might be located in New York. This year's summer camp is going to be at the 92nd Street Y, um, and that's open to anybody. Wow, that's great. That's great. The, the only other um, program I might mention while we're chatting is uh, we have something called the Think Different Diplomats. And it's a bunch of trained college students who are comfortable telling their stories publicly. And they go also to all, all kinds of communities, whether it be high-need communities or, you know, um, less high-need communities. And, and um, they, they tell their stories over an hour-long assembly to all kids, not just kids with learning disabilities, so that every kid can walk away having a better sense of what their, you know, peer group might be like. 
it strikes me that you know uh, what you're talking about uh, is is so valuable. You know that, it, that there's such a strong emotional component to these to the learning issues, uh, and that if you can connect with a mentor um, and someone who can help, what I hear you saying is normalize it for the child, and that's been a lot of my mission as well. So I'd love to hear this, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a, you know, you're really bringing it out there on a, on a large scale, which is great. Mm-hmm. And you, and I, and I think that, you, you know, you're, you're drawing on your own personal experience and I could really, you know, it's like, look, I, I think you know, I wasn't the greatest student by any stretch and I'm like, <laughs> sitting here going, okay, wait a minute. My math skills were really bad. And, uh, you know, I probably looked at a guy next to me on his page once in a while too. You know, it's like, it, it, it helps you really to, it humanizes it and it puts mm-hmm. it into a place where you're kind of like, okay, look kid, I was there and I get it. And I think that yeah. they have to hear that, you know? Yeah. Kids need to hear it from kids. And also, you know, parents need to hear it from yeah. parents. One thing, right. um, I'm sure you probably have come across this new website, understood.org. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's a great website. And it's a place where parents can connect with parents and tell each other, you know, look, here's what I'm going through. Like, to, to yeah. normalize it, to humanize it, to make these experiences as commonplace as they, in fact, are. It's one in five people that have a learning disability in America. That's huge. Yeah. The yeah, fact that, that it's it thought really of is. as, like, uh, it's, it's probably one of the largest minority groups in the country, if you think about it in those terms. But people yeah, need no. to be able to connect with each other. Yeah, I feel like we could talk for hours, but I know we're winding down. What, what, do yep. you have any, like, top, you know, you know, I know you talk in your book about accommodations. And, you know, one of my, one of my you know, gripes about accommodations is they tend to be a bit rubber stamped. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, let's give the ADHD kid extra time. Do, have you ever met a boy, an ADHD boy, who wants extra time for these tasks? <laughs> Yeah, right. No, I mean, never. they want half time. So what would be, you know, from my end, you need to be tailoring, creating an accommodation that matches the data, so to speak. If the kid needs extra time and, and feels like he could benefit from it, that's one thing. But that is a number one accommodation I don't necessarily go to. Do you have some that you feel are like the more effective maybe based on your own experience or from the kids you've met or you know what whatever however you learn them I, I think it's such a wonderful question for us to kind of wrap up on because at the end of the day I think kids and parents should essentially be learning detectives they should spend some time thinking about when do I feel like the most empowered as a learner and that's how they should address applying accommodations to their life so just to use myself as an example um, like what we're doing right now, this having a conversation, this is absolutely how I learn. Interpersonal learning, I thrive right. on it. I right. thrive on it. And so when I need to read a book, I will actually first try and find anybody who has already read that book and have a conversation with them first before I sit down and try name. and read you it. You've got to look for what's his name. You're the guy you used to treat off. <laughs> oh, Yogi. I've got to find Yogi. Yeah, Yogi. got to yeah. find Yogi. Yeah. I'm still friends reading. with him. I should call him up. Oh, I mean, good. a good example good. is yesterday <laughs> I started reading um, uh, Eric Schmidt's book, A Digital Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I'm kind of curious what is what is the world of technology going to bring to us? And I started. And when I say reading it, I mean I downloaded it on Audible and I was starting to listen right. to it. Yeah. And before I even got through past the introduction, I decided to write my friend Evan, and who's deep into like futurism and technology. And I wrote him yeah. and I said, Evan, what do you think of this book? And so instead of me getting deep into the book, I first had a conversation with Evan because I learned well interpersonally. 
then maybe I'll go back and finish the book. Right. And so just yeah. having a sense of that as myself as a learner is really helpful. Now, other people, that may not be how they learn best. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like a learning so having, styles kind of issue, right? It's like a learning mm-hmm. styles type of issue. You know you learning style, and you're building on that. Right, right. Yeah. So that, that's, that's actually, and that is the best accommodation of all. Like getting a sense of how you learn and rolling with that the rest of your life, that's going to give you the blueprint. Then, you know, oh, I always take extra time. That's not going to get you very far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when Great you need extra are... time, you should still take it. <laughs> yeah, sure, exactly, exactly. Are right. there any other t- t- uh, ones that, you're go- that you find yourself thinking, okay, that's a really great accommodation or things that really helped you along the way? Well, I'll mention something around ADHD because I think, you know, I tend to talk a lot about um, my dyslexia, I think, because it's maybe a little yeah. easier because you can, like, really see how it is you're interacting with the page. But, um, you know, ADHD is talked about in so many different ways and, you know, with yeah. the medication, is it good? Is it bad? And the end of the day is you just need the tools that help you get through a specific task around your ADHD. So like having an interview right now, you know, I cut out every piece of distraction that could possibly take me off the interview. I turned off my computer. I turned my cell phone, you know, yeah. all I have is a clock and my tea and you, <laughs> and right. everybody who's right. listening, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so understanding how to change that environment, Whereas as soon as we're yeah. done with this interview, I'm going to turn on everything else because I actually yeah, can do better juggling. Land. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I do better yeah. juggling 15 different things at once, actually, mm-hmm. than one at a time. But I yeah. knew that for this specific task, you know, it would be best to not have those distractions. And when I sat down to write the book, I really considered going back on Adderall because I was like, well, maybe I'm going to need to hyper-focus on my writing. The truth is Adderall works best when I have to hyper-focus on listening, like when I'm in school. So just understanding, like, the nuances of tasks really is helpful in kind of living with and appreciating and making your LD part of who you are. David, I knew you'd be great, and it was wonderful <laughs> talking to you and catching up again. And uh, yeah. I look forward to uh, our talking more and getting to know each other even, you know, more down the road. So, that, so thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell people how to get a hold of you and the website and everything else? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, well, thank you for having me. Great to chat with you. Thanks to all the listeners for, for tuning in. And if you want to keep this dialogue going, um, you can reach me on my website, davidflink.com um, or um, eye2eyenational.org. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Dave Flink. And that's, that's, that's great stuff. And um, I encourage listeners to, as I said before, to go to uh, thecoffeeclatch.com. That's www.thecoffeeclatch.com. Um, I, on, on school struggles, I've had some wonderful guests. And um, also shutdownlearner.com. And, David, thank you very much, and we will talk soon. We'll do it again soon. Can't wait. Thanks. Take care. Be well. Thanks. Take care, you too. Bye. Bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.